Well, hello. How are we? My name is Dave. Hi, Dave. We love you, Dave. Thank you. Oh, well, I really can't see because it's dark in here, so I can't see who's talking to me. Um, it is really good to be back uh, with you guys because I basically haven't taught up here in over a month and a half, and so I have felt extremely lazy. And uh, so I'm finally back in the swing, and this, this should be, God willing, the, the first normal week for me, quote, normal. Like, no week is normal when you're a youth pastor, but first normal week in about a month and a half. So um, also for the new freshmen that have just come up into high school, um, uh, this will be like what we typically do on a Sunday morning for the most part. And so uh, today's the day where you can really judge for yourself if you like it or if you don't like it, okay? But if you don't like it, keep it to yourself, okay? All right? Um, so here's, here we go. Uh, we actually uh, have been in a series in the book of Acts, and our series is creatively titled Acts. So um, we are still in the, the book of Acts. We've actually been in this book since, I think, January. And if you're new to the Bible, let me just kind of give you a rundown of like just the basic New Testament 101. Um, if you're new to the Bible, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament. But um, those are the stories of Jesus, and after the Gospels, we have the book of Acts, which is basically the story of the church. This is what happened after Jesus ascended to be with his Father. This is the book of Acts, the story of the church. Now, the first part of the book of Acts um, is really about the Gospel going out to the Jews, and then as the book moves forward, the Gospel then goes to non-Jews or Gentiles. That would be people like me and you that aren't really Jewish or don't have Israelite heritage in our blood. And uh, so that's the book of Acts. It's the story of the church. Now, um, quick refresher, who wrote the book of Acts? You guys are just messing with me now. You're just, you're doing it as a joke. Okay, so if you said Paul, you're absolutely wrong. It's actually Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Yes, we know Sunday school answer person. We know Jesus wrote the book of Acts. But the, the person that, that God used was, was Luke to write the book of Acts. So tell me again, who wrote the book of Acts? It was not Paul. It was Luke. It was Luke. I'm going to have like someone watch out for who says Paul and come smack you on the head next time you say that. So Luke wrote Acts, and it's confusing because it's about Paul, because it describes the story of Paul going to the Gentiles. Um, but here's something else for you to know. The book of Acts, if you can think of like, um, like a file on your computer, okay? You know when you click on a file, it has like other little files inside, right? Well, um, think of Acts as like one big file on your computer, and inside the book of Acts, inside that file, are the books of like 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, uh, uh, let's see what else, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, basically all of the books of Paul would fit into that file. What I mean by that is the book of Acts is Paul and uh, Silas's missionary journeys going throughout like that part of the world and encouraging the churches. So Paul would go to Ephesus and visit the Ephesian church. Then he'd write a letter to them, which was Ephesians. He would go to Philippi and see the, the Philippian church, and he'd write a letter called 
Philippians, okay? So think of Acts like one big file, and all the letters of Paul like fit into that one big file, okay? That's a way to understand the connection of like the book of Acts to the other parts of the, of the New Testament. Now, so today, in today's story, um, today's story is actually the background for the whole book of Philippians. So in your Bible, you have Philippians. Today's story is the background for that entire book. Like this is the start of the church in Philippi. And Paul write a letter to them later on called Philippians to the Philippians, encouraging them in their faith. And so today, um, we start off in Acts chapter 16. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses, uh, starting in verse 6. And in today's story in Philippi, you're going to see three very unlikely people come to know Christ. So I want you to think for a moment about those people in your life that you think have no shot at coming to know Jesus. The ones that you think that person will never turn their life over to Christ. Picture them in your mind today as we look at the book of Acts and three very unlikely people who actually come to know Christ. So look with me in Acts chapter 16 verse 6. Here's what it says. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's the we. Okay, the, the we in this passage, actually Luke, the writer of this, of this verse, has joined them at this point. So this is Paul, Silas, this is Timothy, and also Luke. So Luke is now writing from firsthand experience, not just what other people say, but what he has seen with his own eyes. And what they're doing is they're going, they're, they're trying to go into certain towns. They feel led by God to go in this direction, and they start to go into certain towns, and it says that the Spirit of God just says no. Now, we don't know what that looked like. We don't know if, like, God in the Spirit, like, appeared and said, no, no, do not go this direction, go a different direction. And so they try to go somewhere else, and he says, no, no, don't go this direction, go a different direction. So... Then this, this, Paul gets this vision of this man from Macedonia. I'll show you a map in just a minute, but don't go there just yet. But there's, there's a man from Macedonia. He gets a vision of this guy from Macedonia where Philippi is located. And the man says in the vision, here, come help us. And so Paul says, okay, we're supposed to go help the Macedonians in Philippi. So they head off all the way over to Philippi. Now, what we learn from this is that sometimes God leads us by closing doors. Sometimes God leads us by closing doors. He, he leads us by saying no. And sometimes he says no even to good things. I mean, is it a good idea to go to share the gospel in the places Paul was trying to go share the gospel? And yes, it was. But God, the Spirit of Jesus, appeared in some form and said, no, I don't want you to go in that direction. I have a different plan for you. Even Christ, we see even in Christ's life that he said no to some really good things. Like picture this, Jesus is healing people and there's a large multitude. We know that every single person didn't get healed. We know that every single person didn't get a touch from Jesus. 
And so sometimes Jesus said no and walked away and went to be with his father. Paul is being told no by the Holy Spirit here. And so the question we have to wrestle with is, how do we respond when God says no, even to good things? Like, give an example. My, my plan when I finished high school was this. It was to find a college that would let me play soccer. That's all I cared about. That was my sole mission. Find a college that would let me play soccer, and that's where I wanted my life to go in that direction. And God said no. He shut the door. He said no. And so sometimes when God says no, he has something even better than what you could think of. At times when God says no, and when you submit yourself to his will, he's got a better plan than what you're going to think up on your own. You, you have to get this. You cannot fathom how your life would go. Right? You, you can't fathom. You can't picture your life. Unless you just follow the Holy Spirit, unless you just follow what God says to do. And so here we, see, here we see Paul. Paul listens to Jesus. He listens to the Holy Spirit. And it goes in the direction that he's supposed to go in. So Paul, he trusted God to lead him. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do you? Do you trust God even when he says no? Even when he says no. And so Paul and his group, they head off to this place called Philippi. And show the map up there. We'll show, show you where it's at. Anybody here have a, uh, a laser pen handy? Anyone? No. Someone has a laser pen, I know. Are you serious? Can I see that real quick? Actually, that's the remote control for our uh, something in here. Something in this building, that's the remote for the projectors, I believe. Finally, for once, I get to use this thing. All right. Laser. So is it the button that says laser? Is that the right button? The power button? Okay. All right, so if you can see my little uh, sniper line up here. Okay, um, so they start off at Antioch right here. That's the beginning of his journey. He goes all this way. He tries to go into some of these towns to minister the gospel, but God says no. He keeps walking, keeps going. Okay, goes all the way over here to a place called Philippi. All right? Now, that's a long journey, is it not? How far do you think that is, just approximately? Any idea? You guys have no clue how far that is. It, it looks pretty far, doesn't it? It's actually on foot. Listen up. On foot, it's like 400 miles just on foot, okay? Now, as far as we know, Paul is walking, Right? As far as we know, Paul is walking this distance, and he gets on a ship, travels across the Aegean Sea, goes to Neapolis, then Philippi, all right? Now, I want you to let this sink in for a second. He is walking. He is walking 400-plus miles and traveling on ships where everyone gets seasick and throws up, right? He, he is... He is traveling under the worst conditions. And how many of you have been on a summer vacation this summer and be like, eh, the car ride was boring. The car ride was so difficult, so tough. The airplane, there was turbulence. There was turbulence, right? And so Paul is traveling. Listen up. Paul is traveling under the worst conditions. He is walking 400 
miles. Like you, you guys drive that in a day in your car on the interstate. That's a one-day journey for most of us. Paul walks that for probably weeks, probably months. And he does all of this for the sake of the gospel. He does all of this so the gospel can be told to the people in Philippi. Look at verse, uh, once they're in Philippi, here's what happens. Once they're in Philippi, um, it says in verse 14, they meet a woman named Lydia. I'll let you know who she is. Verse 14, it says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, Philippi was like a cosmopolitan, diverse, wealthy city. Have you noticed that in the U.S., most of the cities that are on the coasts, I mean, no offense to Texas, I love Texas, but the cities on the coasts are always the coolest cities, right? New York, Boston, Los Angeles, San Diego, right? San Francisco. So those are the cities, right? Everyone's going, San Francisco, evil, evil. You said San Francisco, evil, Dave, evil. Okay, I'm just saying, it's, it's a diverse city, right? Diverse city. So we notice that on the coast, they're typically, and the reason why that is because people come, can come from, there's access. There's water access all over the world. There's access to those places. So they become very diverse, cosmopolitan, wealthy. Those are kind of the happening places, right? I was in Austin yesterday. Austin thinks it's an East Coast or a West Coast city. They really do down there. They think they do. But if you... If you think about this, Philippi was on the coast. It was a very diverse, wealthy, wealthy city. And so there's also a lot of retired military people that live there. This is like a a Roman colony as well, so there's a lot of retired military. So that's the only thing that's kind of like Temple or Colleen. There's a lot of retired military. And so, um, so they have a lot of different kinds of people there. And they meet this lady named Lydia. She's a seller of what's called a purple cloth. That means she's very wealthy. This dye was really expensive, and so she's wealthy, makes a lot of money. She was like a fashion guru. Um, she had a big house. She had probably had servants. And so here's what we notice in this text, though. When it says that she came to believe, it says, how did she come to believe? Look back in, uh, in verse uh, 14. It says, she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So how did she come to believe? What, what caused her to believe? The, the Lord opened up her heart. And so was it Paul's words? Was it Paul's magic words? No, it was God opening up her heart. God, God did the work. God opened up her heart. It's not us. It's not Paul. It's him. He opens up her heart. Look at verse 16. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. These men are the servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, and I love this part, Paul became so annoyed 
that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So there's this girl, there's this girl, and she is possessed by a demon, and she's a fortune teller. So this demon gives her special powers to be able to foretell the future. And so she's a slave to these masters, and so these masters are making a ton of money off this girl. And you have to know that much of what she said probably became true. Otherwise, you'd find out real quick if she was a fake or not. Now, let this be a lesson to you that people can be influenced by demonic influences, evil influences, and actually have some crazy supernatural power. They really can. I know it sounds crazy, especially in our world today, for me to say that, but they really can. Biblically, we see this. And so because of this power she had from this this demon, she was able to predict the future for people. So people might go to her and say, Okay, tell me who's going to ask me to prom. Just tell me. Just tell me. And they might ask her questions like that, and she would respond, and she'd be right. And they'd go tell their friends, this girl, she predicted my future. You should go to her. And so there was like this massive business set up around this girl and her her masters that were getting money from her. And so um, she's making her masters a lot of money. And so it says here that she follows Paul for days like shouting this statement. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Well, what she's saying is true, right? She's saying the truth, but people in the town know who she is. They know that she's a slave, psycho, weird, fortune teller girl, and they're afraid that the gospel might get linked to her. And so it's so strange that it says that Paul just got so annoyed that he just like, cast the demon out of her. I mean, it's not like, it didn't say he was like so compassionate for her. It doesn't say he was, he cared about her well-being. It doesn't say that he wanted her to come to know Jesus. It just says he just got annoyed. It was just like, will you stop it already? All right, fine. And just, and the demon comes out and she's healed and she comes to know Jesus. All right. So this is how this girl gets saved. Imagine that testimony. Like she's sharing her testimony and she's like, yeah, I was like this really annoying, you know, psycho fortune teller girl. And I was shouting and then Paul, you know. And so he casts this demon out. And then now here's the deal. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, don't turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10, God tells us in his law, he says, do not mess with this kind of power. Don't mess with what they call divination or sorcery or fortune telling, those kinds of things, because that is demonic and it is evil and it is twisted. So with that said, do your first three questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, I know there's some good questions in there, but and I apologize for cutting this part of the discussion short, but um, I'm not pacing myself very well this morning. Just call it, I haven't done this in a month and a half, so I'm kind of new at this again. So um, we have a lot more to get to, and there's more discussion questions to come too, so stay tuned. Uh, all right, verse 19. Look at verse 19. L- look at the reaction of her owners, the slave girl. Verse 19, it says, 
When her owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here's what happens. The slave owners, they get upset. They drag Paul and Silas into the city. And Paul and Silas get stripped completely and beaten with rods. That is a bad day. Right? But their bad day gets worse. Their bad day gets worse. From there, they get thrown into prison, and the jailer puts them in chains and stocks. Now, this, these stocks, this doesn't sound horrible because you're picturing just like some like handcuffs, like you're, just, you're handcuffed, right? But this is a different kind of socks. What this was, this was like a big board, okay? They would lay you down on the big board, and there'd be holes for your feet. Now, they weren't just holes like close together like that, all right? These holes were really far apart, so what they would do is they would stretch your legs and pull your legs to where it was painful, then lock them in place. Now, for you guys, everyone knows that guys are not flexible at all, right? Like, it's the one part of, like, PE class, the girls are like, yeah, we got you on this one, right? It's like the guys do the pull-ups and do everything else, it requires brute strength, you know, and... uh and the girls, like, on those little, like, PE tests that you have to run, um, they, uh, they measure, like, how far you can stretch sometimes, and the girls always beat the guys. The girls are like, watch what I can do, you know, and your guy's are like, ah, oh, whatever. I hate you. And, uh, and so if, if we stretch, like, especially for me, if I stretch, it's, 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 like, painful. Now, imagine the worst stretch and how painful it is, and then you're stuck there for, like, hours. Like, you cannot move, Okay. This is what they did to Paul and Silas, okay? Just let that sink in for a moment. This, this would be like torture. This would be like torture. So let's break this down for just a moment. Listen, shh. Let's break this down. God tells them to go to Philippi, and they get beaten and then thrown into jail. So what we see here is that sometimes obedience leads to suffering. What we see here is that sometimes when you do the exact thing that God told you to do is that it leads to suffering. I know the reaction would be from us if this happened to us, if, if you thought God was telling you to do something and you did that thing in obedience and you got stripped and beaten with rods and thrown in prison and placed in the stocks, you would conclude that this must not have been God's will. Like this, I am meeting so much resistance here, there's no way this was God's will. God's will is not for me to suffer. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, if God told you to do something, would you do it out of obedience? Listen up. Shh, listen up. If God tells you to do something, would you do it out of obedience 
even if you know it's going to lead to suffering. If you knew beforehand that what God was asking you to do was going to lead to great suffering, would you still do it? The answer for Paul and Silas was yes. Yes. God told Paul early in his conversion, he said, I'm going to show you the suffering that you must undergo for the sake of my name. He told Paul that. He tells him that before he goes and suffers for the gospel. And he still goes and suffers for the gospel and obeys whatever Jesus, whatever the Holy Spirit tells him to do. So after they obey and they suffer for it, like put yourself in the story for a moment. How would you react if you were in this story? Well, let's see how they react. In verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, they've been beaten. They've been stripped, put in the stocks, stretched. They're in pain, and it's midnight. And here's what the reaction is. The reaction is to pray and to sing. Now, can you imagine being this jailer in this cell? Like, you just torture these guys. You just beat them up. You threw them in prison. You put them in the stocks. And everyone's kind of going to sleep. And all of a sudden, you hear them belt out in praise songs. And you just want to go, shut up. Like, what? you're like the most annoying prisoners ever. Like, be quiet. Like, I just torture. Do you want some more of that? Do you, you want some more of that? Right? So in, in verse 25, it says, Midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, and you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So they obey Jesus by going to Philippi. They get harassed by a demon-possessed girl. They cast the demon out. As a result, they're stripped naked, beaten with rods, thrown in jail, placed in the stocks. And so what do they do? They sing and they pray. That's the reaction. God sends an earthquake. The chains fall off. The doors swing open. The jailer awakens, and he thinks everyone has escaped. In that day, if a prisoner escaped on your watch, you would be put to death as the jailer. So the jailer thinks that's his, he's going to be put to death. So he starts to, he's about to kill himself, and he pulls out a sword, about to kill himself. Paul says, wait, we're all still in here. So they had a chance to escape, and Paul stays. Why? So we could share the gospel. So the man comes and says, how do I get saved? And they reply, believe in Jesus. He gets saved, he and his whole household. So the next few questions are about suffering. Look at questions 4, 5, and 6. And we'll close in just a moment. Go ahead and look at questions 4, 5, and 6.
Okay, we're going to do three more questions in just a moment. I know it's getting late, but we're going to try to rush through this last part here and get you to your last part of the discussion here. So, so how do you respond to suffering? How do you respond to suffering, especially when the suffering comes from your obedience? How do you respond to that? There's two statements I want you to latch on to. And if you're someone that takes notes, then write this down. How you respond to suffering reveals who your God is. Go to the next slide. The first statement is this. If our true God is Jesus, then we'll consider it pure joy when we suffer like Jesus. If, if Jesus is the God that you worship, then suffering should not surprise you because he suffered. He suffered greatly. We see in the New Testament that everyone who followed after him and believed in Jesus as Savior, they suffered immensely. And so if your true God, if the one that you worship is Jesus himself, then suffering won't surprise you. You just open up the pages of the Bible and you see it in there. The next statement is revealing, if your true God is comfort, if your true God is comfort, then we'll get intensely angry at God when we suffer. If, if your true God is comfort and ease and a life of leisure, then you will get intensely mad, angry, upset at God when you suffer, especially when you suffer for the sake of his name, especially when you suffer from obedience. But when you obey God and you say things to God like, and you suffer as a result of it, then you say things to God like, but God, I obeyed you. I obeyed you, and you let that happen to me? Your true God's comfort. Your, your true God's not Jesus. Your, your true, the thing that you worship is comfort and leisure and ease. That's your true God. And, and you see God as just getting in the way of your comfort, which is your real God. So the question is, it's a question of worship. What do you worship? Do you worship Jesus, who suffered for your sake? Or do you worship comfort and a life of ease? leisure and you get angry at God when he gets in the way of that this story shows us also shows us the power of God to change people there were three people in the story you've got a wealthy business fashion guru woman and you've got a slave girl who's possessed by a demon and you have an old gruff like probably tattooed you know retired military guy um who's a jailer I, I can't think of a more probably difficult guy to reach than that. And yet, the gospel enters each one of them and changes them. And what we see here is that the gospel always brings unity. The gospel always takes diversity and makes it into unity. The gospel always takes people that are different and brings them together as one under Christ. And what you begin to realize is that when you have Christ in common, you have everything in common. You've got everything in common when you have Christ in common. Go ahead and do uh, questions uh, 7 through 9, and we'll wrap up. Go ahead and pray for your tables when you're done, and uh, we'll see you on Wednesday. Thank you.